1: I can't go Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on November the 17th, 2011. For newcomers, always help yourself right off the bat to go into cuttingthroughthematrix.com. There's lots of free audios for download and hopefully you'll understand this big system you've been born into uh, that really It's very, very deceptive because you're conditioned from birth to believe that everything the media tells you is real and that everything you're taught in school, too, is real as well. And you'll think it is because everyone around you will think it is, too, including your parents. And that's how this simple trick of creating this big system works. Everyone believes in the same system. They think it's theirs for some reason, even though they've never had any evidence the system exists to serve them at all. And they, in fact, they keep voting in so-called public servants who make an awful lot of money from them. And they never, ever figure out the scam. It's, it's rather strange, to be honest with you. But that's how it works. Very simple. And everything around you, all the media, is all in on the big act as well. Because those who designed the system, at least as part of the system, or the last couple of centuries of it, wrote about it long ago and, and how they bring it about to make the people believe that something called democracy. And even then, what democracy was only going to last for a certain amount of time before the next part of the system came, would come in. And it's now, in fact. It's been for some time. And, of course, it's a global empire for the new feudal overlords, as Carl Quigley called them. And, uh, and we're seeing them p- getting placed in position now. They're called technocrats. Now, you can, all the sites you see listed on cuttingthreathematics.com are the official sites. Anything outside of that isn't mine. And um, you'll find that all carry transcripts of the talks as well in English. And if you go into Alan Watt's sent in sentinel.eu, you'll find transcripts in other languages to choose from. And remember, too, you are the audience that bring me to you. I don't uh, make a big fuss and uh, toot my own horn at all about what I do here, but I do always mention that I need your support because I don't take on advertisers or people that sell you things or terrify you, then sell you stuff. That's just the way it is in this present day that we live in. There's lots of crisis around, and I understand why people are always buying things to save themselves. It never dawns on them that the new old order, once it really gets going, wouldn't allow them to live where they are with all those tons and tons of stuff they've bought. But that's just the way it is, as I say. So you can support me by uh, buying the books and discs I have at com. and from the US to Canada, member, personal checks are fine. You can also use uh, international postal money orders or you can use PayPal or it's the same cash. Some people do the same cash. Across the world, Western Union, MoneyGram and PayPal once again and straight donations are really awfully, awfully welcome. As we all know, as Whatever, whatever cash you have in your countries is, is really going down the hill, and things are probably double what they were just only two or three years ago. At least up here in Canada it is anyway, and that's just the way it is because constant inflation is all part of this built-in system of, of chronology. That's what I call it, chronology. And as I say, if you've studied the books by the big players, and they have written lots of books over the last couple of hundred years of to where they're taking the whole planet um you'll find out how how easy it is really to work Uh, incrementally uh, if you own the money supply then you own the governments then you own the the educational system very important to own that because all propaganda subsequently depends upon the initial indoctrination from school and if it's done properly uh, you'll believe pretty well anything most folk do most folk truly do and um And you'll find out that, uh, as I say, a span of democracy followed by this new system. And Marx talked about it. Engels, in fact, was a technocrat. He believed in it. And so it was a very old theory of how they'd rule the world by experts rather than go through this fussy nonsense, this messy, expensive nonsense of democracy. And they get the jobs done. But even before this, they've already had their parallel government and Margaret Thatcher mentioned that she belonged to it. All ex-politicians belong to it once they've left office. They don't waste their knowledge you see. They get the jobs done behind the scenes. Back with more after this break. I'm back, cutting through the matrix and talking about banking systems and the chronology uh, that runs the world. It's all chronology, and uh, you understand those who are in power, who really are in power, not the ones you elect, but the ones who run the world, uh, have their own massive bureaucracies. Even even huge banking systems have massive bureaucracies dealing with all kinds of things that regular governments deal with, basically, and geopolitics and all the rest of it too. And uh, they're always working 50 years, 100 years ahead to do with investments, takeovers, all that kind of thing. And it's no surprising that long ago they came up with the idea, these these wealthy, wealthy characters that led to, to nations decided to take over the planet, basically, and to make it much easier for themselves and their offspring to dominate. And, of course, that's what they've been working at ever since. But the trick was to con people into... Uh, First of all, even a long, long time ago, using money in the first place, lots of folk didn't need money, didn't use it, they could, they were pretty well self-sufficient in some areas. But that they forced it upon them, and they always did that by creating empires, getting armies to go off and, and and take over other nations, and forcing the cash on them, and then they could always tax it back off them again. So it's a form of slavery, you see. Uh, but you leave the, the the slaves enough to feed and clothe themselves. That way, you don't have to have personal overseers with a whip standing there whipping them. They will work and they'll earn these strength, this strange thing called money, and they'll feed and clothe themselves. The rest you take off in, in, in taxes and dues and fees and all the rest of it. So nothing much has changed for an awful long time But it's not really efficient enough for them now They want to go into an even better system They have the future planned for those who are living in rural areas Where they've been re-welding them for years now In preparation for you lot not being there anymore Because, you see, um, you put the, if you put wolves into, see the big national parks Believe you me, the, the deer and the caribou or where else they happen to live there Learn very quickly that they're going to get eaten, you see Uh, And it's only the stupid humans, when they put them into rural areas, they can't really figure out that it's the same with them. Uh, That's what the ones who own the planet literally think of you. You're nothing but food, and you're in the way, and please move off and uh, move into the crowded cities. It's all planned that way, actually. And I've gone through some government documents, like the the think tanks for the military, who have come out with the stuff about the death of the rural areas, and that will be part of it. So... I'm not talking off the top of my head here It's just the way it's all planned And it may seem strange to those who haven't read uh, the books Put out by the big boys You've got to read through a lot of dry, boring memoirs Of of the big, fat characters To catch the little paragraph or or line here or there Where they actually give something out And, And they count on that too Most folk will never read these books, you know It's too boring for them There's no sex and violence in them uh, and even the violence that's in them is, is in such a beautiful way, uh, you think it's almost romantic, like poetic, the way they put it across in their books, you, until you stop and think they're actually talking about the death of millions and billions of people uh, so that they can have the planet all to themselves and their offspring and no doubt they're cloned slaves of the future. Anyway, this article here is from Europe, and it's, it was called Government Sachs, or Government Sachs and Goldman Sachs and the Death of a Democratic Europe. And they're kind of on the money, as I've used that term, about what they're saying here. So, so much has happened in Europe over the past year. You may not remember the fuss about the role of a certain global investment bank in the Greek debt crisis early in 2011. Goldman Sachs came under massive criticism for helping Greece raise $1 billion of off-balance sheet funding in 2002 through a currency swap. And that's how Greece was allowed into the European Union. Goldman Sachs was paid... by by Greece, to come in and do the books and do them in such a nice, pretty way that the EU would say, well, it's doing pretty good, so we can allow them in as members now, you see. And, And Goldman Sachs was actually the company that did it. And it says, which European Union regulators apparently knew nothing about, which is a lie, of course, we know that now, until in February 2010. At the time, Goldman was criticized for helping the Greek financial situation appear considerably better than it actually was, which is nonsense. These banks all know what countries, what's happening in countries and how how well they're doing or how badly they're doing. And it says, making it easier for the country to enter the euro. After the Enron scandal in 2005, Goldman sold the swap to the National Bank of Greece. You probably noticed that over the last 10 days, two democratically elected leaders of sovereign European states, one the third largest economy on the, on the continent, were forced from office without any form of consultation with their nation's people. Personally, I think it's contrived. I think it was intended that they leave under the, uh, what would, would appear to the, the public. It's always a show for the public, you know. They, they don't sort of sink somewhere. Generally, get promoted up back into the, the companies they worked for before, like Goldman Sachs, for instance. Uh, So they don't go down the way and downhill. And I think this is intentional to bring in the technocrats. The technocrats really are are really expert guidance rather than elected guidance. This is the system that's to come in and bureaucrats basically decide who is to be the technocrat over countries. This is the new system post-democratic. And I've gone through the articles before. Uh, about uh, uh, post-democratic societies have been put out by not only the big universities but by the EU and other um, high members and so on. So technocrats, as I say, are really what they've been going for all along. What did you think they meant when they said we're we're now post-democratic like the Club of Rome 30 years ago? And they'd have to make sure that every country would be post-democratic. You must create financial crisis and all the rest of it, lots of scandals, and uh, and then and people lose confidence, and then you train them not to really care. And they have been trained for 30, 40 years not to care. You you actually expect, and a socialism, because you, you expect a paternalistic society where the ones above you are doing their job well, and it's got nothing to do with you, and so you can go and play. They've trained a, a, society, a culture very, very well across the whole planet a whole generation to believe this and, and that's how people really are today. It doesn't matter how what are you expose to them, most folk well oh yeah, and you can see them bored already as soon as you mention something that really matters. So This article here goes on to uh, the the, the European guys that supposedly stepped down and the ones that came in. It says, at the the same time, the new president of the European Central, Mario Draghi, was put into place. Astonishingly, all three men have strong links to Goldman, as revealed in the, the Le Monde article, which the link is on this page. I'll put all these links up tonight. At cutting through the matrix.com. Draghi was vice president of Goldman Sachs Europe between 2002-2005. He was responsible for companies and sovereign, that's the title of it, which oversaw, amongst other things, currency swap deals, and Draghi denies he was involved in the Greek one, although his signature seems to be on it. But at least Draghi was appointed to post in an expected fashion. Greek Premier George Papandreau made the mistake of attempting to give some democratic legitimacy to his departure by offering a referendum. I mean, Papandreau also was socialist. He was globalist. He was all for the EU uh then the sovereignty for nations and all the rest of it. He'd also work with the big banks as well. They're all in it all, all in it together, believe you me. So this is a pantomime we're seeing, but it's really intended to bring in the, the, to the public, to get to train you, to get used to the idea that eventually you won't have to elect prime ministers and presidents and the the, the bureaucrats themselves that all are responsible to the banks uh will, will usually put their own technocrats in as they call them. That's what a technocrat is. It's meant to be post-democratic, and that's what you're in today. Anyway, it says, all hell broke loose in the markets, and the results was not only was the referendum pulled out, but he was forced to resign. His replacement, Lucas Papadimos, was in charge of the Greek Central Bank from '94 until 2002 and oversaw Goldman's swap deal. Well, actually, it's so easy to take the names like Draghi and so on and do your little searches on who they are. They've all been friends of Europe. Friends of Europe were the secret society. Secret society that worked from the end of World War Two right up to to the to that actually got the European Union up and running. They worked behind the scenes to con and lie to everybody on the planet that was going to be an actual union with a parliament. It was supposed to be a talking referendum place that was also a meet at, discuss free trade. They all knew what they were doing, and they were all all employed by the same big bank and banks we have all worked with IMF and and all the rest of it, and the European Central Bank, etc., etc. So the bankers are now putting in their own technocrats to oversee nations, as was intended a long time ago. Anyway, his replacement, Lucas Papandimos, was in charge of the bank from '94 until 2002, oversaw Goldman's swap deal. Elsewhere, Silvio Berlusconi, uh, n- then they give him a, a kind of a bit of a praise here, fairly won three consecutive elections, et etc. et cetera, serving post-war Italian leader. He's been replaced by Mario Monti. Look into Mario Monti, interesting career, too. Again, friends of Europe, uh, big EU uh, um, uh, employee for a while for the high hootspaws. And uh, he's usually an elitist uh, or an aristocrat of the European Union, as most of the top ones are. And so he's been put in there to be a technocrat and run that country as well, Italy. And as his writing in the Atlantic magazine, May 2009, Simon Johnson, ex-chief economist of the IMF, wrote, and IMF's all part of them too, remember. <laughs> Elite business interests financiers, in the case of the U.S., played a central role in creating the crisis, making ever larger gambles with the implicit backing of the government until the investable collapse. This is more alarming. They are now using their influence to prevent precisely the sorts of reforms that are needed and fast to pull the economy out of its nosedive. The government seems helpless or unwilling to act against them. To understand, government's just the puppets of the big banks. They've they've always been like that. So, And what they get in return, all these little psychopaths in government, they get insider trading. It's now legal in the U.S., apparently, for guys in Congress to get tips of what governments really spend money on and they get right and then they act and invest in big corporations. It's always really been that way, you see. Something rather similar appears to be happening in Europe. What Draghi, Monti and Papadimos also have in common is that they are classically trained orthodox economists who have spent a good part of their lives working for the European bureaucracies and banks that have bought, uh, brought about this disaster. These so-called technocrats uh, brought into calm the markets are not proposing alternative policies. Instead, they're proposing a policy, of formula we know doesn't work. Massive cuts in public expenditure and the welfare states, social health care and everything, along with regressive tax rises, can only ever harm demand and growth, drive unemployment uh, uh, down, that is. Uh, increase inequality and economic insecurity. Rather than allowing so called sovereign states some freedom to set their own monetary and fiscal policies, these leaders appear intent only on furthering centralising such powers. Uh, but whilst the public sector is being subjected to massive upheaval, talk of breaking up the banks, regulating them more effectively, or even imposing a tiny financial transaction tax remains largely talk. So the no rule changes except this is the change technocracy. has embedded itself and you don't really need governments anymore. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. We're back cutting through the matrix and uh, a similar article is put out too by by, uh, The Telegraph. And it's called the Goldman Sachs Rules the World. And they cover much of the same kind of stuff here, too. What none of them to really go into is that uh, there's no left and right, you understand. I mean, the big, these big banks um, and the guys who now represent these big banks and countries, too, as they place them in, in its presidents and prime ministers, uh, they're all supposedly left-wing socialists but what they really mean by that they believe in a socialist ideology on behalf of the banks because the banks funded both sides all along even from the days of Karl Marx and before so uh, you never you never allow something real to emerge you must, must make sure that if it's going to emerge and there's time is right for it and the public public's going to get their own leaders then you must put out your own leader first, you see get them lots of press and they become a hero and then you've got them You they'll sit back so thank God somebody's doing it all for us it's an old trick Always works, so. But, um, in this article here, they go into the, again, the connections between the European Central Bank, Mario Draghi, Italy's new Prime Minister, Mario Monti, and the new Greek Prime Minister, Lucas Papademos. Again, they always pull them out of America for Greece. It's just amazing. Even though they're, they're technically, they're not Greek at all, in a sense. This is, because a lot of them are born in, in the middle of Europe. This is all you reportedly have at US Investment Bank as a common denominator and meaning uh, Goldman Sachs once again. So Goldman Sachs rules the world, and uh, you'll, you'll be surprised, too, at the bigger guys above them. You know, there's a lot of names at the top that you'll never see on the media, and even above the Rothschilds and guys like that, because uh, they don't want the public to know them. They're even more important. You understand, if your name's in the paper, you're, you, you could be hit at any time. And uh, the, the real guys at the top must always be, remain secret, yeah. But it is known that they, they can make a phone call to any president, prime minister uh, directly and uh, tell them what to do and it will be done. And they do exist. They do exist. Now, Britain was one of the first countries and then the US followed it too by uh, not only bailing out some of the big banks that had screwed everybody but also uh, buying over more, a lot of the shares in them. And now of course they're selling them off again after the public have paid off the debts, etc., bailed them out, yada yada. Uh, The government's then selling them off again for peanuts to the guys who owned them before and got them all in trouble. Anyway, this one here is said Northern Rock, I guess a big bank system, sold to Virgin Money, whoever that is. It says says the bank was nationalized in 2008 following its near collapse at the onset of the global credit crunch. Uh, Northern Rock uh, place will be rebranded as Virgin Money, which has pledged no compulsory job cuts for three years. The BBC business editor Robert uh, Peston said the sale would see taxpayers end up with a paper loss. I mean, this is what you're going to, it's going to, it's going to cost you uh, on top of what you've already paid of somewhere between 400 million pounds and 650 million pounds. Do you understand? We're just peasants, you know. We've always been peasants. Always been peasants. Anyone who really ever believed the government was there to serve them, and I mean everywhere has got a problem. Their indoctrination really did a number on their brain. It really worked well. It says the bank currently employs two and a half thousand people, down from five thousand five hundred when it was nationalised. On nationalisation, the government subsequently split the bank into two: Northern Rock PLC and Northern Rock Asset Management, into which was placed its bad debt. As sources at Northern Rock told BBC there were cheers at the bank's Newcastle headquarters. I bet there were too, when news of the Virgin Money deal was announced. But the taxpayers lost. As I say, it's only only cost them, you know, uh, 400 million pounds or 650 million pounds. Uh, so thank you, taxpayers, once again, and and keep voting, you idiots, you idiots. I said this for years. You know, I've, I watched this con my whole life in Britain. Every town at one time had coal gas. That's how what they piped through to all the towns, and they just big massive tanks. You couldn't miss them on horizon. Uh, where, where the gas was contained And then eventually of course So it, it was all nationalised So, the, In other words the taxpayer funds it to get created To build them, to maintain them And then, w- then they bring in the right wing And they sell them off for peanuts to their pals Which was each other <laughs> mm-hmm. And they did the same thing with the trains Each time they privatised it to be run into the ground The, the government would take it over Nationalise it, bail it out And then the taxpayers would re-equip everything again And uh, renew everything and once it was all working, the government would sell it off again to their pals for peanuts. And they've done it with everything, water, you name it, uh, electrical sup- uh, supplies and power supplies. It's been done in every country. The same con over and over. And the public never seemed to either mind or catch on. I'm not really sure which. But uh, that's what they're doing now. Thank you again for building everybody out. And... Um, now I mentioned too uh, that I mean, I've watched this system for an awful long time and I've studied it for an awful, awful long time and I was reading Russell's books before I was even old enough for high school and, um, and other authors too. I want you to know how the money system works. I read about the Bretton Woods agreements, all that kind of stuff to find out what money was because I asked a granny once. I says, she gave me about four pence, I think it was, at the time. And it's the first time anyone would give me any money, you see. It was four pennies. And, uh, and I actually got a good ice cream out of it. And I, I thought, why did this man take that and give me something that was worth something? And I asked the granny, she couldn't really tell me because she'd always been, money's always been there. And I got the same answer from everybody. So I went to find out what it was. And it was, I was, and I was lucky, very lucky because the library, even at primary school, had, uh, had books on money and the history of money and who funded, who went along with the Roman armies, for instance, uh, and manage their bookkeeping for them as they board money off these traveling bankers' representatives. Ancient times to the day hasn't changed, has it? Back with more after this break.
0: You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth.
1: Folks, this is cutting through the matrix. Talking about banking, it's a, it's a boring subject, and all know, we all know that. But it's, it's with us all, of the, all the time. And of course, we don't go and plow the land and grow our own things anymore. We earn money so that we can be taxed and buy the rubbish out of the grocery store, which is owned privately too by the same guys. Really, the big banks own everything today. They really do. Even the military-industrial complex—they own. They own the, the United Nations. They set up the United Nations when this little cabal called the Milner Group that became the Royal Institute of International Affairs uh, set it up uh, intentionally to be a front, basically, under the guise of let's all be happy together and let's love each other and uh, spread the wealth of the world across the world as it ends up in their own uh, private coffers. Because you see they also own, these big bankers own all the big businesses that go across the world and get the grants given to them. And this is about grants, you see, because International Monetary Fund, which works with the World Bank, and uh, again all created some of them created before World War Two, some afterwards. Uh, the whole idea was to take over the world and all the resources of the world, uh, under the guise of helping people. It always works, you know. Always works. This should have the ancient talk, you know, the old saying about beware of Greeks bearing gifts. That was in the ancient days when they were uh, the so-called harbingers of democracy in ancient times. And they had their own sort of united nations set up there and uh, commonwealth until all the little countries that were absorbed by them and under them were getting taxed to death as well and they all rebelled and that's why they fell apart. They used to come in with gift. we'll give you a gift, you see, and here's a few terms of agreement, though, and, and small print at the bottom. And it's, nothing's changed today. And it says uh, that International Monetary Fund uh, uh, also has branches in every country. Every country. In fact, Brown, the ex- Prime Minister of Britain, after Blair, uh, after he wrecked Britain uh, or, or further wrecked it from Blair, Blair, Brown was sent over to manage the U.S.'s uh, branch of the International Monetary Fund. Isn't that wonderful? Eh? So that the U.S. too can be, you know, milked and milked and milked. The taxpayers, that is, not the big corporations that run it. But, uh, what they do is they give out loans to third world countries and with lots of terms of agreement only because in those specific targeted countries there's something they want out of that country. And it's generally pretty well everything that they want out. And they always get them into debts. And then in-, in comes the IMF. Oh dear, we we'll have to cut your welfare and all the rest of it, your pensions your he- and your healthcare and take them from you. Uh, until you pay it off and then of course then they bring out aging rock stars it's a great old trick this aging rock stars get put out on the road and they meet prime ministers and presidents, and and they give the the gullible ignorant west uh, uh, oh my god let's third let's write off the debt of these third world countries and we all feel sorry you know and and uh, they'll wink at each other of course They've conned the public again. And so they write off the debt. What they don't tell you, any of them, is that you see all you taxpayers are down as a guarantor's. So when they write it off... For the third world countries, uh, you have to pay it up. And then immediately your prime minister or your president will give another loan. This is how the trick the, the tri- works, you see. Now, this article here is a boring little article, unless you've got a, a mind that still functions. And it says, Paris Club cuts ivory coasts debt burden. Well, well that's nice of them. Uh, uh, Paris Club, what do you think A Paris Club? A little private company, I guess, eh? Is it? All right. The Paris Club of Creditor Nations, they have all these different terms, and I'll get to that eventually, said members agreed Tuesday to reduce the Ivory Coast foreign debt burden and said reforms underway should lead to further relief. Exactly what I just said, Yeah, was write it off. But you see, who's going to pay at this little club here? Well, let's read on. The West African nation's creditors in the Paris Club agreed to reschedule the repayment of some of the country's debts over a 10-year period. Repayment of arrears on those payments was rescheduled over 8 years. The informal group, it's an informal group of creditor governments, said in a statement, let's, let's, for the harder thinking, let's, let's see that again for the informal grouping of creditor governments. Now, did you know your governments are acting as bankers? They always have been, mind you, with your money, of course. Is it written in anybody's constitution anywhere? Do you find that? No, I don't think so. said in a statement that the measures would reduce the country's debt service payments and arrears due by the end of June 2014 by $1.8 billion. Of that amount, $397 million would be cancelled. Now guess who's going to pay the $397 million and then immediately reschedule another loan, right? Ivory Coast is rapidly recovering after last year's disputed election uh, reignited a civil war that killed some 3,000 people and displaced more than 1 million, which is pretty routine. And, and it says, participating creditors noted that the following, the crisis, the Republic of Côte d'Ivoire has gone through the government uh, and has quickly revived economic activity and resumed negotiations with the Paris Club. Now, what is a Paris Club, eh? Uh, and they look into it. An informal group of financial officials from 19 of of some of the world's biggest economies, so it's your government officials, right? They work through the Overseas Economic Development Fund under the United Nations with a representative in your government, you see, so so that they can take your cash, your tax money, and and lend it out to these countries. And then they cancel the debt and they can't repay it through the IMF. and But you've you've, you've already signed on, your uh, head honcho has signed your names all down to pay it off as guarantors. Meets every six weeks at the French Ministry of Economy. So they will see you've got Paris clubs, have got different clubs all over the world. Same countries though, because you look down to see who's in it. Australia, Austria. Australia's doing great right now, you know that. They can really afford this. Austria, Belgium, Canada, Denmark, Finland, France, Germany, Ireland, Italy, Japan, Netherlands, Norway, Russia, Spain, Sweden, Switzerland, United Kingdom, and United States. And then associated ones, ones at part pay, are uh, Abu Dhabi, Argentina, Brazil, Israel, Kuwait, Mexico, Morocco, New Zealand, Portugal, South Africa, South Korea, Trinidad, and Tobago, Turkey. Isn't that charity Is so wonderful, isn't it? Isn't it wonderful when you open up your pockets and and pour everything you have out so that it that can get squandered uh, in other countries that are full of corruption and have no intention of using it? And why are the guys that lent it to them? Because all they intend to do is take over the areas where they want to plunder them for their mineral resources, or gold, or diamonds, and so on, uranium, and all that. So, people think they're all. They do really think they're awake, most folk, you know that. They really do. Isn't that astonishing? I'm talking to a small audience, I think. But anyway, this is the real world, and it's been like that since World War II, really, and, and before, as I say. We're, we're all idiots. But we, You see, no one creates money it, or wealth, put it out. No one creates anything of wealth except the people who make stuff. Actually make stuff. And manage stuff. The governments don't make anything. They use your cash for big private corporations. And they, they lend it out through all these these cons that go on. Such as foreign aid and stuff like that. And the really, all we're doing is they're using our tax money to conquer the rest of the planet, and us too, mind you. But no one seems to care. There's lots of entertainment out there, isn't there? There's lots and lots of entertainment. Now, I mentioned too about society. It's too sick now to help. I hope you all understand that society's been uh, degenerated so quickly since, especially in 1960 even before that, but, but it really went on a roll in 1960. And and it was a, a managed role by the way. Every liberation movement was mentioned by Yuri Bezmenov as coming from the Soviet side because they were given the task of working the system. Not that in the West didn't mind. They were all in it too, all the ones at the top. And the whole idea was to destroy manage altogether and make it, make it impossible for anybody to bond without fighting in the first five days that they lived together. And uh And that's happened. And then the state would take up the slack by, by creating, uh, taking over all the functions that families used to do. Now now you've got children growing up, and they call social workers by their first names and say they're their best friends. I'm not kidding. There's articles out there on that. Single mums, mums who got hundreds of boyfriends, and, and that's the modern society. No one thinks anything about it now. And yet, I can remember in the 70s, when Britain declared that most of the homes we're going to build from now on would be for single-parent families. They all all knew it was coming because, you see, our culture is run for us. We just follow it, at least most folk do. And they haven't got a clue that they're actually following a, a a design plan to destroy the fabric of society, as Bezmanov said. That's all the things that hold you together and have held you together for hundreds and hundreds of years against these thugs at the top. Once you've destroyed it, you're too degenerate to come together and fight anything. The ones who are organized are, are, are led by the nose By the big bankers themselves Against against themselves Because the big bankers want to bring in The new system too of technocracy You see, that was their plan a long time ago Anyway Part of it too is, is violence Sex and lots of things like that And uh, I mentioned a game the other day uh, Modern Warfare 3 I put the link up to the preview of it uh, And it's meant of course to recruit The next bunch of cannon fodder They might even be turning on you, in fact, down the road, because they're all getting trained in urban warfare, which is like big cities. Anyway, it it grosses $775 million in its first five days. And this is put out by the military industrial complex to make sure they've got, as I say, future recruits for cannon fodder. And uh, it'll work very well, because when you're that, you know, youngsters are indestructible, they think they're immortal. And uh, this really meant for them, and they have all these psychologists working on these these things, and psychiatrists and neuroscientists, and and it works awfully. Embeds in their mind, you know, they cannot die, <laughs> and of course they want to be one of these big big steroid heroes that they see, and uh, and that's that's the role image because see, there's no dads anymore either, you know. So that's the role, just like the gangs. You understand? Gangs. The whole history of gangs is as single mother uh, mothers became the the predominant uh, family. Young guys had no dads, and so the gang members in the streets would be their, the, the, the nearest thing to a dad. He would steer them right and keep them out of trouble and help them get some cash in his pocket and all the rest of it, and protect them as well. And so there's nothing around anymore. So all they can do is look at all these this fantasy they're given, and then the military uses that. Actually, they show these games at the military recruitment centres. I've watched a documentary where they actually walk in, and there's these very games there uh, for these youngsters who, who aren't even, you know, adults yet. I don't care what, anyway, what anybody wants to say about; they're not adults yet. They don't have the wisdom of, of life experience to be adults, and and it's, it's, they watch these videos, and then they go and sign up. The desks on one side, the video games on the other. All for the private enterprises, eh? that you as the military and your tax money as really private mercenaries because that's all you are you see really as a private mercenary and they'll often get killed too much to their astonishment because again they think they're immortal at that age and they always think that bad guys can't shoot straight you always see that in the movies eh now society's also been bureaucratized right down to the lowest levels. You'll see it in stores even. they have to go through their formulas now, checking who's who if they've got credit cards and all that kind of stuff. And then you get the the public too standing at the checkout counter list behind someone who's giving all their data out to a teller. All their data. uh, Without, It's all normal now, the bureaucratization of society. But it makes everything impossible to do. Nothing works anymore, you see, with bureaucracy. And it causes death as well. Sometimes on a mass scale, sometimes on a smaller scale. This article here is, uh, is, it says, left to die by health and safety fanatics. Fire chiefs wouldn't use Winch to save a mother who was trapped in a mineshaft. She fell in a mineshaft, taking a shortcut across a field. Because, because the equipment, you see, was only for its own staff. This is the fire department. They would not allow their equipment to be used because it was only for their own staff to be used. So this is only 45 feet down. So it says Alison Hume left at the bottom of a collapsed 45 mine shaft for six hours. She was alive. She suffered a fatal heart attack eventually because she was left down there brought on by hypothermia. Inquiry found the fire service evidence bullish if not arrogant. This was in Scotland. It says Strathclyde Fire and Rescue said her death was a source of enormous regret, but not, but did not apologize. Well, bureaucrats never apologize. This is an inquiry yesterday into a damning verdict on a rule book obsessed fire chief with Sasha Tootham, who ordered colleagues not to rescue a dying woman trapped on a mineshaft. The lawyer says, Alison Hume could have survived if rank-and-file firefighters at the scene had been allowed to do their job and bring her out, said Sheriff Desmond Leslie. But fire crews refused to use a winch to pull her to safety because its policy, poli- everybody's got a policy these days, eh, was only to use the rescue equipment to save its own staff. Well, it seems to me none of, none of their own staff was, at, was at any, in any peril here. <laughs> and it wasn't getting used. The senior officer's fundamentalist adherence to health and safety procedures and failure to take account of the extreme urgency of the situation resulted in the mother of two remaining at the bottom of the shaft in Ayrshire for almost six hours after Strathclyde Fire and Rescue arrived. Six hours? Can you believe this? I can. It was the same when, when, in New Orleans, remember, when, when FEMA came in, all the normal rescue stuff was ordered back that worked before and people were drowning for days. Yeah. It was not until a mountain, a mountain rescue they call it a mountain rescue to go down 45 feet in a straight shaft in a, in a field. It was not until mountain rescue experts arrived that she was brought to the surface but then she had suffered a fatal heart attack brought on by hypothermia. So, Jeff Leslie issued his findings following a lengthy fatal accident inquiry into the, her death and, uh, it's, it's quite amazing too that, that it was so arrogant because the fire officers said, uh, that the, they eventually, it was a success, they said, the fire officers, but it was a success because they got the, the person out. They didn't mention that by the time she was dead. You know? So, uh, it's just astonishing. It's not astonishing at all. I, I, I see it all around me, this, this bureaucratization of society. It's all through the school systems too. There's no school anymore as such, it's just indoctrination centres. And and they're all taught to be uniform and group talk, you know, and anyone who doesn't join the group and agree with something has to go to the side, is 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 shunned by the group. Some of them even put flags outside the classroom window to say there's, a, there's someone in here that is not a group player. This is all for conformity to make it easier to be managed by your masters and your owners. Now, the farming <laughs> industry was taken over, really, in World War Two in most countries. Then that's what they do, as Carl quickly said. You can get more done on a social and government level in five years of war than 50 years of propaganda, basically, and convincing people through propaganda. Government takes over everything. Well, secret, this is for the U.S., secret farm bill is primed for passage and debt deal. Lawmakers in the House and Senate Agriculture Committees are trying to write a new five-year farm bill through the supercommittee process. The supercommittee—what is this? Well, the supercommittee is again technic- technocrats, supposed experts in their field that manage all the money. Now, the legislators are using the supercommittee to avoid what would be a more public election-year debate in 2012, when the current farm bill expires and new legislation would be scheduled for writing. According to critics of the effort. And it says, we call it the secret farm bill, said one environmental activist, who worries that if the lawmakers succeed, it will prop up U.S. farm payments through 2017. The Environment Groups and Poverty Advocates say the sewer Committee should dismiss the recommendations from the farm state lawmakers, which are expected to be delivered later this week. The recommendations are expected to propose the replacement of some existing farm payments with a new crop insurance program and new payments that would be linked to commodity prices. Now, your government damn well knows, and you all damn well know, that if you don't have food, folks, you know, after water, you're going to die. I hope you realize that. And food has always been used as a weapon. At one time, one of the women who was the head of the United Nations Department of Agriculture says food has always been used as a weapon. And other ones like Albright and so on have said, and they'll use it too, which they did. They starve countries out with their embargoes. This is very important because you see, all your food's going up on the international market and the futures, etc. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back cutting through the matrix and it's shot by this whole hour. So I'm going to try and grab a collar or two. There's Fairweather from Pennsylvania. Are you there, Fairweather?
0: Yes, Mr. Allen. Yes. I'd like to read you a paragraph from the next million years. I really don't know what it means, but it seems pretty sick.
1: Hey, Charles Golden Darwin, yep.
0: It says, it says it already pointed out man's present procreative instincts are failing to re- reproduce a species in sufficient numbers in many of the more civilized nations. Then it goes on to say whether this reinforcement of the procreative instinct should be dignified by a new specific name, I do not know. But long before the end of a million years, is almost certain that human, homo sapiens will be changed into homo pedophilius. Yeah. What did he mean by that?
1: Well, when they, f- they formed a League of Nations before he wrote that book, he wrote that in the 50s, 1950s, the League of Nations that became the United Nations, they, they said they would promote all things which were non-procreative. So uh, pedophilia was okay. They, they promote eventually in the later stages homosexuality, lesbianism, all things that would stop families from getting, like, male and female getting together and having children. So that was part of it. And further on in the book, he also says we shall introduce uh, hormones and, and uh, endocrine disruptors into, this, into the water, the food, uh, and maybe even through inoculations, he said. So the females would actually become more masculine in some ways, more aggressive, and male, men become more effeminate and, uh, and and less aggressive, or more more uh, more manageable basically. So that all worked out then. And when big guys like him, remember he was a scientist in the Manhattan Project making the atomic bomb, uh, he got accolades for the, for that book for promoting all this stuff, reducing the population of the useless eaters for a post-industrial society. They wouldn't need them anymore in a global society and uh, and also um, destroying the family unit that that was their main problem was the family unit families stand up and actually fight and when you get groups of uh, norm, normal or natural communities they'll stand up and fight but when you have no families left no one stands up for anyone and that's that's government has now in complete control now they're dominating everybody every individual is dominated by government so that's what he was getting at there so that's why you're seeing all this promotion too of bizarreness. In the sexual sphere, and as planned 100 years ago at least.
0: Yeah. Uh, in the last 10 years, there's been this big outbreak of, of child molesters and people in authority. I wonder if that was their plan all along to make a society where that's acceptable. They well, do that in the elite,
1: open. Yeah, the elite themselves have always been into that, though, because they've never followed the rules down through the ages that they always impose upon uh, the peasants. Uh, otherwise, they'd have chaos. But uh, they're very bored at the top, always have been, and they don't go along with any religions, but they'll always turn up to make, so to make sure at the church, that the peasants go to church as well. So they never believed in, in, in the, the religions that they promoted upon the, the people, and they practiced their own things. In fact, remember, too, they only get married to have the offspring of the, 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 the highbrow lineages. That's the only reason they get married in the first place. You
0: know. I live near Penn State, and I was pretty disgusted to see all those kids. Pretty much not care yep. about the, the abuse. All they cared about was their dumb game, and mm-hmm. they might, you know, they might accept this in the future. It might be normal.
1: Well, actually, there's no shock. To, there's hardly any shock today because they've had so much of this rammed down. Most folk don't think through things through reason. They learn by repetition and, and through osmosis, and it sort of melts into their brain. And it's no big deal because he's famous. People laughing at it and being and doing it. In fact, so it's no shock. But those scandals went right back to 1992, and everybody knew about them. But uh, thanks for calling. Maybe Aaron from Nevada can call as well maybe tomorrow. Uh, From Hamish, myself from Ontario, Canada. It's night. to me, your God, or your gods, go with you. Remember to help me out this end, because I'm not flogging you. Lots of heavy stuff.